Welcome to MuggleCast, your weekly ride into the Wizarding World fandom. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. And I'm Laura. And this week, grab your luggage and raincoat because we are choo-chooing back into the Wizarding World with Chapter 11 of Goblet of Fire aboard the Hogwarts Express. Micah is not here this week, sitting in for Micah, not just the following sound effects, choo-choo, but also one of our <laughs> patrons, longtime Slug Club member, Ning Si. Ning Si, welcome to the show. Hello, I'm so excited to be here. We're very excited to have you. You are coming to us from Singapore today. Yes. Ning Si even took off work for this. Wow. Oh, that's dedication. Yes. Instead of taking off work this week, Micah took off MuggleCast. Like the tables have turned. (laughs) (laughs) Micah's working. You're not working. Well, it's great. All we really needed was that audio clip for this week, right, Andrew? Yeah. Choo choo. We're good. I think we're pretty covered. (laughs) Because if Micah were here, he would be contributing. Choo choo. (laughs) Choo choo. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Only that, nothing else. (laughs) No, of course we miss Micah, but it is a chapter that, you know, he feels this is a chapter he would love because the chapter's aboard the Hogwarts Express and he loves the... Choo-choo. So... (laughs) We should try to squeeze that into the seven-word summary. (laughs) What if two of the seven words are chew and chew? Yeah, what if that's the first two? Or what if we have two at the end and we don't know what to do? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Hooray! Choo-choo. <laughs> so, Ningsi, let's get your fandom ID before we go any further. Okay, so my favorite book is Prison of Azkaban. My favorite movie is Daffy Hallows Part 1, because I love camping. What can I say? <laughs> uh, <laughs> my Hogwarts house is Gryffindor. My Ilvermoy house is Thunderbird. Um, the Wizarding World tells me that uh, my Patronus is a bay mare, which I reject. So it's actually a rabbit. Fine. <laughs> uh, my one is uh, 12 and 3 quarter inches laurel wood with a phoenix core and solid flexibility. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, thank you again for joining us today. We're very excited to have you. You've been a longtime supporter and we're just so grateful for your support. Ning C will also join us for bonus MuggleCast today. Bonus MuggleCast installments are coming to our paid Apple podcast subscription starting this week. For just $4.99 a month, you can sign up for MuggleCast Gold, in which you'll receive ad-free early access to our main show, plus two new bonus MuggleCast installments every month in which we discuss all kinds of things like the latest Wizarding World news. This week, we'll discuss recent news about Hogwarts Legacy. It's the top-selling game of the year, meaning 2023. (laughs) And Warner Brothers is teasing more projects in the Wizarding World to come. So we'll talk about that. And we're also going to touch on what we would like to see added to Hogwarts Legacy if they ever add anything because they haven't yet, which is odd. Also a reminder, I'm wearing the beanie right now. The MuggleCast Overstock store is open again. This is where you can buy MuggleCast merch and help support the show. And we have this new comfy, cozy combo pack, which consists of the MuggleCast beanie and socks. You can purchase this new combo set for $25, which is cheaper than buying the socks and beanie separate. And you'll be warm on both ends of your muggle body for winter. So check it out at mugglemillennial.etsy.com. 
And finally, we just want to give thanks to anyone who leaves us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts, featuring a review that we got this past week from Ultra Wild, who gave us a five-star review and said, Spellbinding, these are the best group of Harry Potter-obsessed friends you'll ever have, truly the OGs of the podcast game, don't know where the fandom would be without them. Thank you. Thank you so much. That is so sweet. Yeah. And thank you to everybody who leaves a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. So let's get into chapter by chapter. This week, we're discussing Goblet of Fire, chapter 11, aboard the Hogwarts Express. And we'll start, like we always do, with our seven word summary. Ning is going to kick things off for us. Will it be a chew? We're about to find out. <laughs> what if she sneezes and we're like, she did it. She did chew. And then she'll be I like, no, I was chew. just sneezing. Yeah. All right. Here we go. Traveling. Bye. Train. <laughs> Proves. Informative. Harry for a second there Laura I really thought you were going to end this with chew and then I was going to come in with a chew because <laughs> traveling, traveling by, by train, train proves, proves informative, informative chew chew, chew. chew. yeah chew, would have been that would have been you know we would have gotten the message across still <laughs> yeah, yeah. you did great especially because you did double duty filling in yes. for Micah here Oh, it's fine. Like, I definitely did not stress over this. Over the weeks, like, why am I starting this? Good. <laughs> so this chapter begins with the summer break about to end, and an urgent call from the ministry comes in, and Harry listens, listens in as Amos Diggory, via fireplace, delivers some news to Arthur about Mad-Eye. Overnight, someone tried to break into Mad-Eye's house, and in addition to this being our introduction to Mad-Eye, this is also the first time we're seeing someone communicate via fire. So I actually wanted to start talking about communicating via fireplace via the flu network, because I, I've got a couple questions concerning this. So first of all, why did Rowling choose fire as the method for communication and transportation? Transportation, I can maybe understand. Because fire could arguably represent, let's say, you know, you're being cremated, you're being transformed. It's a bit of a dark example. Fire represents a lot of things, but communication is not one of them. And head-only transportation is another aspect of utilizing the flu network, seemingly only for a chat and maybe a piece of toast, which we will also get to. But was this the right branch of magic to put a glorified telephone call under. I would argue this method of communication should be unassociated with the flu network because th these two things don't really tie together for me. Why is this under the flu network and why does it have to be via fireplace? Yeah, it's it's a good question, especially because in the next book, as we've established, we do get the wizarding version of DMs. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. So it's interesting that this was chosen. You know, I was thinking... Andrew, when you were mentioning that fire can be representative of like a rebirth or turning into something else, it can also be representative of cleansing things too. And I wonder if there was some kind of 
intentional choice with those two themes in mind around the idea of travel and the idea of communication that somehow fire plays a part in whatever transformation you go through metaphorically, if there is one, um, or if it, it incentivizes more truthfulness, it feels like a stretch, but also (laughs) I'm trying to figure out why exactly fireplaces specifically. I think I have a take on that, which is that, and I like the flu network in general. Mm -hmm. I think that one of the reasons the flu network was chosen for travel uh, is because even the oldest cottages back back from the dark ages had chimneys. Oh. True. You know, so so a chimney is something that, you know, everyone has. And so you could potentially easily connect to other wizards no matter where they are, um, no matter how remote they are. Everyone's got a fireplace. So that idea, coupled with how the flu network we're told it works, where a great has to be added to the network. And you like we find out in later books, too, you can like take a great off and things like that. That actually is very, very, very much akin to how telephones were. Um, mm. When telephones first started out, they had to manually be, I mean, there was a manual switchboard, wires run under the ground to everyone's home. And so when we see Amos Diggory here, we, like FaceTiming essentially the Weasleys, uh, I think it has to do with the convergent evolution of phones into video call devices. Yeah. Well, Because she took that, you know, the flu network very much was a telephone style network. So if that was to evolve into a face medium, like a video medium, then the equivalent would be you travel, but only partially. Does that make sense? It's like, it's, I think it's kind of based on kind of makes sense based on how the flu network was like set up to begin with. It's like, okay, so rolling was probably like, Hey, if the telephone evolved into the video phone, then my equivalent of the telephone has to evolve into the video phone somehow. Interesting. Yeah. Actually, I just had like a sudden thought when Eric talked about the chimneys. Do you think like very, very ancient wizards use like smoke signals? You know, I like, mean, possibly. So with, yeah. the, with the chimney, maybe yeah. that's why they like kept the the fireplace system. And then they're yeah. like, look, we, don't, we can like improve this communication by actually like going through it. Or something. Yeah, That's I mean, the Vatican so cool. still uses smoke signals. <laughs> yeah, <Yes. laughs> they do. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I love that idea. It it adds a layer, I think, because as Eric, you were talking, I was like, oh my gosh, this makes total sense that wizards would assume, or at least wizards in the UK would be like, well, everybody has a chimney. When it's like, well, in reality, not everybody has a chimney around the world. But I love Ningxi how you added this layer of like, no, 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 it was the ancient cultures that did this. And mm-hmm. the Europeans just took it <laughs> yeah, and made it their own. And also, I mean, keep in mind how weird it is to Arthur Weasley at the beginning of this book that the Dursleys have boarded up their fireplace. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yes. he, how do you he, talk? He, he, yeah, he views it like a major thoroughfare. Like everyone's chimney is actually their front door because I think yeah. to wizards, it is in a way. This question got me thinking what other like common household item could have been a phone instead of the fireplace. 
I was thinking a portrait. Of course, we know you can talk to portraits to some extent. Yeah. But how about something a little more original? How about a house plant? And like the head pops up as a new bulb <laughs> on the top of the plant and the leaves are like arms so they can be all animated. I thought that I, could be I fun. I only like this, Andrew, if it's the old style telephone where you have the mouthpiece and the receiver and you're putting oh. a bulb of a flower. It's like the flower bulb oh. like to your ear and having to talk into the stem. That would be really yeah. lovely. Honestly, that sounds like nightmare fuel to me. <laughs> it kind of does. Yeah. It's just kind of picturing just a, yeah. one of y'all's heads on top of a plant kind of scares me. No offense. Yeah. <laughs> Especially at night. Yes. Or I was thinking like a lamp. I don't because it's uh, the light bulb, an idea. So it turns on. But anyway, um, thank you for your reasoning here, panel, because I just thought it was so interesting that the telephone call was an extension of the flu network, even though it's already used for something pretty powerful. So it, it does two things. That's a good point. What I'm thinking about now that we've made the FaceTime connection, I think we all know people who will like unprompted FaceTime call you. Oh, I hate that. Yeah. It, not my jam either. What happens if somebody tries to flu call you and you don't, want to take the call do you can you decline it or do, does their head just pop up in your fireplace can they see into your living room just throw water on it yeah at any moment that they want this is see vernon's smart for boarding up his fireplace because yeah. he had this thought laura <laughs> vernon many was years the original ago. privacy protector the webcam <laughs> yeah. uh the yeah. web <laughs> kind of i was like where did eric's camera go i missed him thumbing no I, I literally have one of those I have those little, no, I have, a, I have a webcam oh. slider thing, that came oh, my okay. laptop case. But yeah, it's, uh, it's crazy to think about that. Maybe the fire needs to be started, like going. Like, mm. I think it's probably a movieism that you can take an empty fireplace and just throw the powder down or whatever. But I think maybe if you start the fire, that like opens the call. So like you're available. It's like the equivalent of like unplugging the uh, cord from the, I mean, many people listening won't know what I'm talking about. But <laughs> unplugging the, the, the telephone cable from the wall when you didn't want to take a call and you'd get a busy mm. signal. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe they just throw water if like, oh no, I do not want to stop this person. Get a bucket of water. And get like, a bucket. Yeah. Throw it on the yeah, yeah. the flames. Well, like, we don't have to get in the nitty gritty here, but they, <laughs> they, they got this call from Amos in the morning. So was the fire lit in the morning? Maybe it could have been, but it was also summertime. So they probably wouldn't have it lit. Well, yeah. And yeah. wizarding homes. That's the other thing. I mean, Britain is cold even in the summer and there's not a lot of indoor climate control in a lot of places. So you probably always do have a fire going, um, to be honest. Yeah, but may yeah. maybe wizarding homes probably always have the fire going unless they don't want to take a call. Or that's how Molly was grilling her toast. She was keeping it <laughs> over the fire. And that's why mm -hmm. she offered Amos that piece of toast. Of course, we do have to address that the way the movies handled the fireplace uh, phone call. It was really bad, particularly in Goblet of Fire. It just did not look good with Sirius's no. head, like kind of popping out of the embers. Whereas yeah. in Order of the Phoenix, it was a little bit better. You see him like in the flame. They realized how they did it in Goblet it was not good. So mm. it'll be interesting to see what they do with uh, the television adaptation. It'll be yeah. any better. Well, yeah. they listened to us trash the Goblet of Fire effect. Because we definitely did here on this yeah, show. Yeah. And, yeah. And they were like, oh, okay. 
Well, it's even more, it's more, the way it's described in the book, I was paying close attention to this during this reread. It's just more canonical the way they have it in book five. Like nobody ever said the embers themselves were constructing the face. And that's why they like did it this way in movie four. This was, you know, somebody had an idea that they ran with in this movie and it kind of fell a little flat. So despite the fact that uh, Amos may have called super early in the morning, maybe much to the chagrin of Molly and Arthur, he actually is calling with important information. And it's that Mad-Eye Moody, brand new character alert, has been attacked at his home. And it's particularly concerning for some reason because it's the day before he's starting his new job. Hmm. Wonder where. And just wanted to call out here. I thought we could do this throughout this book. Uh, have have something called keeping an eye on Mad Eye um, to look at all of the clues that come up throughout the book about Barty Crouch Jr. actually being imposter Moody. Um, and this is the point where Mad Eye Moody is attacked in his home. This is the point where Crouch Jr. kidnaps him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, Polyjuice potions himself into him and holds a hostage for the next like 10 months. Yeah. Yeah. Poor Mad Eye, though, honestly. Yeah. Yeah, for real. And Mad Eye had the dustbins as a security system. Um, and it's assumed during this chapter that the dustbins, he set up those dustbins and and they went off like they should as he intended. But we later learned that it was Crouch Jr. who purposely set them off as a distraction. That's so smart. It's so like, Barty Crouch Jr. as a character, we're just getting into kind of, go, you know, going through the reread where he becomes a factor and. He's pretty talented, and despite yeah. his leanings, which are very concerning, uh, he is, in fact, a Death Eater and a very loyal supporter to Voldemort. But but aside from that one little fact, I think this guy is great. I think he's really cool. Yeah. Wow. Certainly yeah. accomplished. Yeah. He gets the job done. <laughs> yeah. So, so I don't want to eat my words, but uh, I think I'll be keeping track of other cool or accomplished mo- impressive moments of of for for Barty Crouch. Okay. I also like for the TV series I kind of hope like they show this scene like yeah. you know like at the start of the episode there's like a somebody got attacked or something like as like the starting part you know before like they have the opening credits yeah know, do the episode yeah I think that would be cool. Which is, I, kind of, I mean, Goblet of Fire didn't open with this, the movie I'm referring to, but it opened mm-hmm. with Frank Bryce. Frank Bryce, right? Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, something like that, like a cold open, so to speak. Yeah. Well, speaking of the toast, which we've mentioned a couple of times, let's circle back to this just for a moment. I thought it was really funny that Molly does offer Amos some toast. Yeah, it's just a funny sight gag how weird it is for somebody's face to be in your fireplace, but then Molly is able to pass food to him and it's toast, (laughs) which if she screws it up still is going to taste good because the fire is going to toast it a little bit more. So (laughs) this, this is just a very like for me reading. I know every time I read this chapter, I'm just like, I love magic. That's so fun. (laughs) The fact that you it's my I love magic moment in Goblet. (laughs) So we need a MuggleCast t-shirt that has a picture of Toast being fed into a fireplace and it says, I love magic underneath it. <laughs> underneath it. That's what impresses us most about the Wizarding World. Yeah. Toast. 
toast being fed the transfer of toast through a fireplace toast is pretty great well and if you if you think about how many hundreds of miles away amos's body is from his mouth that's where the magic is impressive yeah yeah and see, this is another example of how the wizarding world defies physics. I kind of wish that we had brought this one up when we did the physics of Harry Potter discussion, because it would have been really interesting to try and explain how that works. It's a portal. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's a portal. It's different than splinching because you're not cut off at any point. It's just your head's going through a portal. Mm-hmm. It could be a way. And sorry, this is like another dark thought from me for this episode could this magic be used to solve world hunger like people can people where let's say a food desert people could walk up to a fireplace and be fed food from areas of the world where food is more easily accessible i don't know why this jumped to my mind but it did (laughs) and they can also apparently duplicate food right and pass it through the flu facetime network we solved world hunger yeah, we you got to work smarter, hunger. not harder, man. Yeah, we like, solved Wizarding yeah. World hunger just now. <laughs> yeah. It could also be a really cute way to easily enjoy a home-cooked meal while you were, say, at Hogwarts for term. So Ron's like, oh, I'm hungry. I'm missing mom's delicious toast and eggs. And then he walks up to the fireplace, <laughs> unlocks his jaw, and Molly just tosses <laughs> a bunch of breakfast into his mouth. Thanks, mom. <laughs> Uh, so let's get back to mad eye to, oh yeah go ahead let's keep it moving <laughs> okay we start to learn about mad eye this is the first time for both harry and the reader he's a former former Auror, admired by arthur and dumbledore george however thinks he's a bit of a nutter and bill counters that he was a great wizard in his time and as we later learn of course he still is i I think it's really interesting watching everyone talk about Mad-Eye Moody. So we're learning about this and the Weasley kids are there talking about it too. And Mad-Eye's reputation is called into account. Uh, You know, he's called Mad-Eye for many reasons, but there's this opinion that he's kind of lost his touch and he's so paranoid, you know, in his old age. Oh my God. And it's funny to see him be so discredited because as we've established, he actually has been attacked. It was a credible... Uh, attempt on his uh, freedom. And in fact, they were successful. So uh, it's funny to see it being couched as he's paranoid and, you know, probably a small cat or something set off the, the dustbins um, because it, it it allows us to not be as suspicious. So it's it's hiding in plain sight what really happened. And that makes for clever writing. And the dustbins themselves feed that idea that he is nuts because who would turn dustbins into a security system? Only a nutter like Mad-Eye. Clearly he's losing it. Yeah. (laughs) And listening to the kind of people that do respect Mad-Eye is people like Dumbledore. And Dumbledore is also not fully credible. I think we, well, this is a conversation that happens in this chapter too, that, you know, dad collects plugs, you know, and and Arthur loves Mad-Eye, but, you know, there you have it. So again, it's really smart to call into question the capability and sort of the sanity of Mad-Eye, especially in advance of his year teaching at Hogwarts, um, because it allows us to suspect nothing. 
Harry's about to find mm-hmm. out that, you know, in I guess the next chapter that Mad-Eye is going to be their DADA teacher, too. So it's also setting up that. Congrats. Here's yeah. teacher number four. And he's a nut job. Enjoy. Yeah. What do you think, Ming-C? I, I think like whether there is also like an element of like, you know, Mad-Eye being the boy who cried wolf too many times. Mm. So everybody's like, eh, you know. It's not really worth investigating because like, you know, it's clearly like a false alarm. But so nobody ever bothers to put in even a mediocre of effort to try and see like if there's any issue. And I think like even in the real world, this happens a lot. So, you know, it's, it's kind of like reflective of that as well. That's a like, good point. I mean, in an ideal world, of course, every everything will like any complaints will get investigated or at least like, you know, checked out. And I wonder how differently, like, the story would have went if there was, like, even a seed of suspicion or doubt that was planted from this initial incident with Mad-Eye. Yeah, I agree with it. And I love that you brought this up, Ningxi, because it really made me think about um, how this compares to Frank Bryce and what Frank Bryce goes through earlier in this book. Um, So his community is so quick to accept the idea of him being a murderer because in their minds, um, the war turned him funny, right? The war did something to him. He's never been the same since the war trauma he went through. And Mad-Eye is also someone who carries both literal and metaphorical war wounds that are used in this case to invalidate him as just being paranoid and to remove his credibility, which makes him the perfect target. Yeah. This also brings up, I think, a recurring theme now at this point in the book, which is the complacency that the wizarding world at large has fallen into. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, another reason of the many that they don't believe Mad Eyes in any danger that any Death Eater, anybody untoward would seek him out is because they largely believe that Death Eaters aren't around anymore, that all of them are in Azkaban, even though they've just been proven wrong within the last week or so by the emergence of a bunch of them at the Quidditch World Cup. uh, Everyone still kind of thinks that it's safe and no, who would ever go after Mad-Eye? He's an auror, like you can get more than you're bargaining for there. But it's true. Is this another point for your Barty Crouch Jr. is pretty good, actually, Count Eric? (laughs) It could be. I, I'm going to have to get a sound effect if we keep getting uh, so many counts so quickly. It'd probably be that ridiculous line from the movie, Hello, father, or something. But, uh, oh. You have to Eric's do the a really good voice thing, actor. too. Yeah. yeah. I, uh, I think that uh, it's, it's a testament to the environment that Barty Crouch Jr. is able to navigate and traverse through. I mean, presumably he threw off his father's imperious curse like it ain't no thing. Uh, Mm. He did it at the Quidditch World Cup, but there was never any ramifications. Afterwards, the spell didn't come down harder. So Barty Crouch Jr. learning to throw that off and then said that he'd be able to go and abduct Moody on a on schedule because <laughs> if he misses it if he's late by a day Moody's already at Hogwarts and you're never going to be able yeah. to do this so yes Andrew I would say that that actually is another point for Barty Crouch Jr. Yes father or whatever hello father, <laughs> hello, father. <laughs> Eric you got to record it now man David Taylor was so underused in the movies oh I yeah. agree yeah. yeah reduced to a plot point with a, yeah. a quiver Mm-hmm. So 
I mentioned Mad Eye becoming the DADA teacher. We don't know that he's going to be the DADA teacher yet. It's hinted that he's starting a new job. That's the only clue. But reading this with the benefit of hindsight, the fact that the new DADA teacher is already in some trouble, if Harry thinks back to this, after three years of changing DADA teachers, the writing was on the wall for Mad Eye at the outset. Yeah. Yeah. And yet. I still appreciate that there's a twist to it, right? So unlike prior DADA teachers, there's something new in Mad-Eye. By the end of the book, we learn not only that it wasn't in fact him, but we do get to see the real Mad-Eye eventually. And so the next couple of years, like he's not yeah. dissolved into ashes the way Quirrell is, and he's not permanently yeah, memory revoked the way that true. it's yet another way for a DADA teacher at Hogwarts to end up, to wind up. Uh, and actually, if we if we consider Barty Crouch Jr. was actually the DADA teacher, then he got the Dementor's Kiss at the end of the year. So it works both ways. One more thing regarding the Amos FaceTime call. He uses the phrase please men instead of police men. Mm-hmm. It got me thinking, what would please men actually be? <laughs> please men. Well, they would please everybody. They wouldn't. Uh, they they would be very well loved and uh, bastion of their community. They would de-escalate uh, heavy conflict. They would probably not carry guns, and you know they'd just be very pleasing, maybe to look at. <laughs> oh, like hot fireman calendars. Yeah, yes. like the yes. fireman calendars. Exactly. See, you got it. Yeah. When your cat gets stuck in a tree, when your Mrs. Norris gets stuck in a tree. You call up the please men and please come save my my cat, man. And they're happy to help <laughs> grab that cat while looking attractive. It'd be a simpler world. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. you give them some toast at the end. <laughs> oh, yeah. As a thank you. All right. Oh. So anyway, let's move on to what happens aboard the Hogwarts Express, this chapter's namesake. So they get on the train and the trio listen in on Draco discussing Durmstrang. And we learn the Malfoys have a fondness for the school because they do not accept Muggleborns. Which, by the way, is an interesting tidbit because Hermione later goes to the Yule Ball with Crumb. So maybe Crumb has something to say about that. Or maybe this is actually a little bit of proof that this actually isn't true. I had forgotten this tidbit that Malfoy throws out and I have to call him on it this has to be inaccurate right that Durmstrang doesn't take Muggleborns and the reason is it's one of three magical wizarding schools in Europe and there's simply no way that they're allowing all of these uh, Muggleborn wizards who can fully wield a wand and use magic to not be educated and learn how to use it safely we never see anybody sent to Hogwarts that's like oh I would be going to Durmstrang right now, but, uh, you know, I'm Muggleborn. Hey, uh, so I just think it can't possibly be the case that Durmstrang says absolutely not to Muggleborn. Yeah. yeah. Could it, oh, go ahead, Ningxi. Yeah. Although I was just thinking, could it be like, you know, they, they have like this reputation of not picking Muggleborns, but somewhere along the line, they realize, yeah, that's not going to work. We'll just like quietly pick them in. And like, it's not really like, advertise so people who want to believe what they believe like still thinks that only pure birds go to that school i guess yeah so the 14 year old malfoy doesn't understand like the whole nuance of it um yeah that man that makes me feel bad that there's like these second class citizen statuses like muggleborns at durmstrang where they don't get to come on the ship 
uh, to Hogwarts. They're left behind. Oh. Yeah, I mean, my thinking is there probably are. I would assume it's not a large number of Muggleborn students there, but there are probably some. And to be honest, based on who their headmaster is, it's probably Mm. not the most comfortable environment to be in, which got me thinking about this idea. Maybe there are some Muggleborn students at Durmstrang who, quote, pass as like half blood or pure blood somehow. I'm drawing real world comparisons and thinking about, you know, the ways that white supremacy has dominated all kinds of spaces. But there have been people over time who have been able to successfully, quote, pass as white so that they can be in those spaces, um, which is still a dangerous position for them to be in. But it is a real thing that's happened. So I'm wondering if that's possible here with Durmstrang. Yeah. I mean, all wizarding yeah. governments have to abide by the statute of secrecy. So to my mind, again, it doesn't make sense for uh, them to not educate their muggleborns, uh, especially how to, you know, not allow your magic to explode out of you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm also kind of picturing uh Wizarding World spinoff TV show where maybe it's not set at Durmstrang. Maybe it is. I don't think Durmstrang is a particularly appealing school for HBO to sell a premise around. But it would be cool to see a storyline where there's a Muggleborn undercover going to a school that doesn't accept Muggleborns. I think Mm -hmm. that would be fun to see them try to project this image of being from a pure blood family, a half blood family. I don't know what the the tension would be there, but to me, that sounds like an interesting premise. I agree. Being a almost like undercover at a wizarding school and trying to pull it I'm off. The cover muggle. <laughs> <laughs> the undercover boss spinoff we've been waiting for. <laughs> yeah. So more about Durmstrang, Draco also likes that the school lets students learn the dark arts, not just the defense rubbish. Now, I actually could maybe side with Draco here, and I'm speaking as somebody who has used the dark arts spells in Hogwarts Legacy, so maybe I'm very biased here. Eric has not, right? You say you haven't. There's one of them that (gasps) Eleanor Rigby has not used yet, and it's the death death curse i chose oh this is i thought you originally didn't want to use any unforgivable oh curses. you have to use two of the others to beat the game i'm pretty sure well yeah oh. but i mean you don't have to accept it right you won't beat the game but <laughs> no i must choose not no to laura i must beat the game <laughs> <laughs> He'll do anything except Avada Kedavra. Yeah, th- th- this game. one seems more plausible, right? That that the you know Durmstrang does have a lean towards the dark arts. Grindelwald himself went there. This is you know book canon that it has not just a reputation, but seems to follow through with it. Again, Laura, your point: their headmaster is a Death Eater or a former Death Eater, arguably. Um, but so this I get. However. The only dark arts examples that we have are things like the killing curse, the torture curse, the uh, take away your autonomy and make you do whatever I want you to curse. We know that killing leaves a mark on your soul. Uh, Slughorn says so in book six. And that's, you know, you can't really easily get rid of that. So 
does it is it actually a good thing that they're allowed to do dark arts because all this dark stuff is leaving tarnished marks and comes at a cost yeah yeah I just I I think it would be helpful to learn more other than the defense rubbish just so you have a complete picture of how the dark arts work. Am I suggesting, you know, Avada Kedavra on another wizard? Of course not. <laughs> even even an animal wouldn't want that. Can you set up dummies maybe to give people a test just like in Hogwarts Legacy actually? You got some dummies to play with from yeah, time yeah. to time. Yeah. <laughs> what I was going to say is like it's like telling someone you can have a little torture as a treat. Uh, you know, it's like, <laughs> where's the line here? And mm-hmm. maybe it is like they do in Hogwarts Legacy. I'm pretty sure that this is um, accurate. You're trying to get into Salazar Slytherin's, is it Septorium or something? Uh, and you, your friend has to curse you because the in order to get in, it needs to experience the curse. And so you both consent and agree to have the curse performed on you or on him or something like that. Like that's something I can see being an example of what would happen in a school where they teach dark arts. But if you're being instructed and if it's like straightforward pedagogical lesson, like I don't think you can actually give consent. I don't think that, I don't know how any of this would actually work in practice. I wonder if there's like some wizarding world equivalent to, um, the drunk goggles did y'all ever have to use those in high school when you were learning how to drive and they wanted you to experience what it was like if you were driving drunk so they would give you these goggles that impaired your vision and they obviously would not put you behind the wheel of a car but they would ask you to like try to walk around and it was really weird so they were trying to give you practical experience without actually giving you practical experience for me, drunk goggles are any pair of prescription glasses. Like Ningxi, <laughs> your glasses. Yeah, I'm basically blind without my glasses. Oh, so there you go. I just need to take them off and that will be fine. <laughs> You're going to say something. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I'm coming at this from like, um, because I do research in my day job. So I'm coming at it from this angle, like, you know, in real life, we have like labs that actually research on like uh, viruses, like, smallpox or like actual danger dangerous like chemicals so i feel like this like it could possibly be like the same case in the wizarding world so you learn like about the theory or like there's some sort of control environment you can learn about dark magic so you can develop like a counter curse because that's how we try to research and find like cures to things like we have to get access to like cancer cells with get access to the viruses things like that but um, of course everything is like very controlled there's a lot of um, like different laws and regulations you have to obey in order to do that like example for like a chemical lab in Singapore if you have um, if you need to buy like chemicals that could potentially be used to make like drugs or explosives you actually need to get a license. The chemicals has to be kept under lock and key. Uh, you have to like sign out every time you take uh, the chemical out and you have to record down like how much you use it. So I guess like you could put in regulations to ensure like it happens, but uh, it would probably be like, I guess, for like mid level. I don't really see like 
11 year olds running around trying to learn dark magic. Right. And that's the thing. That's is like, true. After yeah. all those regulations, is it really worth learning dark arts then, Andrew? Like, does your, do you still think it's more valuable than just the defense rubbish? And if only seventh years are doing it, then you can't really say the school as a whole teaches dark arts. Yeah, I, I guess what has me thinking along these ways is in the next book, they have to put together Dumbledore's army to actually get prepared for the fight ahead. That's yeah. sort of what I'm thinking along the lines like of, of course, the dark for... arts. Yeah, the dark arts are a unique exception, though. Um, and I'm just in a dark questioning mood tonight, it seems. Yeah, yeah. But, but anyway. Because Mike is not here. <laughs> Andrew's Let's... shook. I'm shook. I'm shooketh. <laughs> Let's talk about something else we learned about Hogwarts. It's funny to read this for the first time. Now it's something it feels like we've known since before we were we were reading the first book. Um, we learned that Hogwarts is hidden from muggles. Hermione says all they see is a, a smoldering old ruin with a sign over the entrance saying, danger, do not enter, unsafe. This is also news to Harry and Ron because unlike Hermione... Um, they have not read Hogwarts a history, I believe is what she said she reads this in. Mm -hmm. So yes. it, it it begs a lot of questions, though, about how this exactly works. And we really have never found out since then how how this goes down if a muggle tries to approach. So, OK, they see that sign danger, do not enter unsafe. But we all know muggles love exploring abandoned ruins. There's YouTube channels dedicated to this. I have loved going into empty houses nearby as a childhood. Behind my house, there was another abandoned house. I would go into it from time to time. People love to explore. Naturally, muggles are going to start exploring this smoldering old ruin. So what does happen if a muggle walks in? Any guesses? Do the dark I'm arts come down on them? Do they get a lot of cadaver? <laughs> I mean, there could be smite to death. Yeah, there that's could how be. that's how Hogwarts students get to practice. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, there could be secondary uh, charms and things in place. Hermione maybe is only listing the first one because if you look at the Quidditch World Cup, we were told that uh, there was an anti-muggle charm on it that would make you think that you forgot something at home. Like, oh, I left the oven on. Crap! Like, I can't ignore that. Like. Something like that where initially, yes, it's a ruin, but if you go closer, then you forget something or you become convinced that somebody that you genuinely love is in ill health and you need to visit them right away. Some kind of, you know, psychological deterrent in addition to, because you're right, making it a ruin wouldn't really deter most people, especially now with all the YouTube traveler people that you're talking about. And drones. Yeah. yeah. I wonder if it's like, maybe it's like a mirage. Like, they're like, oh, like, I would still like to go there. But like, you just keep walking towards it, but you never quite reach it. I like that. I idea. That's really cool. I do yeah. like that. Imagine that YouTube video. I see it right there, but I can't get any closer. There's yeah. like an invisible treadmill <laughs> moving the other direction. Honestly, <laughs> and way. this is why technology ultimately breaks the statute of secrecy, because... With smartphones and all the YouTubers and urban explorers that y'all are talking about that are out there, 
sorry. There's there's no way that you're keeping uh, the genie in the bottle here. Hey, Muggles uh, are going to find out. Rich of you to think <laughs> that uh, video cameras would work at Hogwarts anyway, or that oh. close to the... Uh, oh, yeah. The, it's mm-hmm. like going to haunted uh, houses, you know? It would cut out at the right moment and nothing yes. would be picked yeah. up. Yeah. But I feel like people would still create clickbait content about places like that. They already do. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, think about if if some major magical event goes down in a public muggle space and somebody happens to video it and put it up on YouTube, you're done. Yeah. You're going to obliviate the internet? Like, <laughs> I don't... <laughs> I don't think so. Did you guys see that uh, supposed alien at the mall in, was it Florida or something? There was a huge cop presence. And, oh, yeah. Yeah. There's like little clickbaity yeah. type stuff like that all the time. Um, I don't know, Laura, you've convinced me we have to go to Scotland and try and find Hogwarts. <laughs> Wasn't there a documentary about that? We should videotape it, too. <laughs> Just some friends yeah. going and trying to find Hogwarts. <laughs> Get Michael to do that. Isn't he in Europe now? That's oh yeah, it. he's yeah. pretty close. Yeah, get, he's get like Michael to do that. Practically right there, right? He so. Compared yeah. to the rest of us, he's <laughs> right in the backyard. I do also like the idea. I can't remember who said it a few minutes ago that maybe there's maybe it was you, Laura. There's another rule we Hermione doesn't know about. Maybe the the uh, the wizarding public at large do not know about because by revealing it, then you're giving people more clues about how to bypass these security yeah. measures potentially. Then again, as I say that. We're also reminded Hogwarts is a security nightmare, so maybe there's not much else true. going on. That's true. very true. And credit where credit's due. That was Eric. Well, and oh, sorry. You know, we hear about this deterrent, but we have no examples of muggles uh, getting deterred, actually, or seeing the ruin. In fact, Jacob Kowalski, at the end of the second Fantastic Beasts film, walks straight up to Hogwarts, is grinning ear to ear. He can clearly see it. Maybe that man just loves his old ruins. But then in the next movie is able to walk around in Hogwarts. So whether that's Dumbledore's doing or whether this charm is uh, bunko and is actually not a thing at all. What does Jacob see? I could see a special pass being granted when they do want a muggle to be allowed in. But that that should have been addressed because I feel like this is a big plot point that fans have known about for a really long time. And to yeah, kind of just yeah. pull that out from under us is surprising. We we were owed a bit of an explanation, I think. Oh, that's that whole movie summarized. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, let's be real. That wasn't the yeah. first time that uh, the Fantastic Beasts franchise played fast and loose with canon. Mm-hmm. Um, the sequels. My crackpot, my crackpot theory is that they left a loose end there in order to reveal ultimately that Jacob is actually somehow magical in the event that they ever got greenlit for a fourth movie. The secret of like, Kowalski. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> By like falling in love with a witcher wizard. Right. You retroactively backwards through time can see Hogwarts, a school that Queenie no, didn't no, even go to. No, you become a wizard yourself is oh, where I was going okay. with that. Oh. Okay. You become a half-blood, a half-love right. blood. You know what? A love blood. <laughs> it was you, the make ma- out, you make out with a witch and it was you the magic. You swap and magical. <laughs> it was the magic of their eventual descendant, Anthony Goldstein, that allowed yes. the great-great-great-grandfather of him, Jacob Kowalski, <laughs> to see Hogwarts. Being a wizard, becoming a wizard is highly contagious. That's how there's so many 
witches and wizards out there. We also learn, just like Hogwarts, that Durmstrang and Bobaton are concealed so nobody can steal their secrets. It seems weird to me that even fellow wizards from outside schools don't know where these schools are. And let's also remember that students from these schools are coming to Hogwarts and they're probably figuring out where Hogwarts is. Or they're going to get some clues, at least, oh, when they look around the castle grounds. Security breed. Yeah, it's so unfair. <laughs> and and also, that was a quote. No, so They're hidden so nobody can steal their secrets. What secrets are we even talking about here? The secrets of Dumbledore. <laughs> the secrets of Durmstrang. <laughs> <laughs> the secrets of Durmstrang door. Um, I feel like it it doesn't make any sense in the way Hermione's like, well, of course, they're concealed, aren't they? No one knows where they are. This is all Hermione, so maybe we take it with a grain of salt. Maybe she's on her soapbox and just making stuff up. But to your point, somebody has to know where it is, and certainly the kids going or... Harry and Ron, remember, they had to find their way to this school uh, in their second year, and they had to be able to find it to do that. Yeah. Yeah. I think I I, I find it very hard to believe that the general like country or like city that the school is set in is like unknown because no parent is going to send their 11-year-old to just wherever <laughs> like they gotta know at least like that's true i can see like the exact location being a secret but like the general area should probably be like known like you know everybody sort of like accepted that hogwarts is like somewhere in the scottish highlands that is something like that so that would that would make more sense to me i feel yeah yeah i feel like the parents deserve to know to your point. Yeah. Mm, yeah. But this also gets me thinking this castle is in one place for hundreds of years. Nobody leaks this info ever where the school is, even the students who went. And actually, come to think of it, a lot of the parents would probably know where it is because they went to that yeah. school themselves. Oh, so that's okay, okay, okay. that's how they would know. But how about Hermione's parents? And Hermione's parents can't ask around and well, find they, out. They can't see the school. So even if they go... <laughs> They're yeah, they they seem like a couple who would get a exception similar to Jacob, where if you do yeah. have a witch or wizard there and you're a muggle, you well, deserve to visit. The entire four or six months that Hermione was petrified in year two, her parents didn't visit because they couldn't see Hogwarts. I guess that's proof that they're not allowed to visit. Yeah, but- <laughs> 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 Can Why you imagine if they got there and saw that and were like, this is where you live, honey? <laughs> you live like this? Amazing. <laughs> yeah, with all these security Whoa. nightmares, no wonder we're normally not allowed to visit. Like this, That's probably why they're banned too, because the school is a mess all the time. Yeah. Maybe they sign like an NDA, you know, like sort of like the list that Hermione has everybody sign. And if you like leak the exact location, you get smited. <laughs> Just boom. That's so funny. Is that a good ever? <laughs> I was going to say automatic AK, like lightning bolt. That's yeah, how they learn the bounce. spell. An unbreakable vow. Um, yeah. Well, Camille also points out in our Discord, uh, wouldn't everyone know where Hogwarts is because it's walking distance of Hogsmeade? And that's actually oh. another great point yeah. because Hogsmeade is not a hidden village. It's a very, very famous wizarding dwelling uh, and major, you know, city for the wizards. So 
yeah, you can pretty much easily figure out where Hogwarts is. Yeah. It's the only all wizarding village in all of England or all of the UK, right? Yeah. And eventually you'd know too, because depending on where your kid is born or where you're living, you get an invite to a certain school. And so eventually over many decades, people would like begin to pinpoint, oh, Durmstrang reached out to me. This must be within the scope or the range of, you know, where they pull from. So it just doesn't hold up uh, very much. Yeah, I agree. A common closing point here on MuggleCast. It doesn't hold up. It doesn't hold up. Well, (laughs) although I like what Hermione does to deduce that it must be up north and it's because their outfit, their uniform contains furs. That's smart. That's classic deduction, but it's really good. Yeah. And it makes me think of real life prominent secret places like Camp David here in the United States where Uh, The president will go for I mean, it can sometimes be long weekend trips, but it's also to entertain dignitaries from other countries. And it's not technically public knowledge where exactly Camp Camp David is located, but it's also not hard to figure out the general area where it is, especially if you live in that part of the country. Um, So I'm sure very similar to Camp David, if you got too close to Durmstrang or Bobaton and uh, they genuinely don't want you there, there have to be security or alert systems in place to prevent you from ultimately finding it. So I don't know if that means they're modifying people's memories if they get too close. I don't think that's what the Secret Service does with Camp David. (laughs) I know I, I, that's, that that's the men in black. Um, <laughs> right. But, yeah, I think <laughs> that yeah. the other thing worth noting is that the reason for some of the secrecy presumably is also to have a safe space for wizards to get spells wrong. So you're learning yeah. these spells. Yeah. It's a giant mess, you know, all the time, not to mention just the Quidditch aspect of it. I had to think really yeah. hard not to say Quizzage. Um <laughs> But yeah, so there's a good reason why they're, secluded but that doesn't mean that their location shouldn't be known yes yeah i agree okay so draco comes into the trio's compartment on the hogwarts express and kicks into bully mode he's making fun of ron's dress robes and hinting at what's happening at hogwarts this year And the trio's a little humiliated that they don't know what Draco's talking about. Of of course, uh, Draco takes advantage of them not knowing about the thing that is happening. So he starts making fun of them. He says that his dad told him what was happening a long while ago. And he can't believe Ron doesn't know what's happening, despite Arthur and Percy working at the ministry. Draco surmises in front of Ron that Arthur isn't high up enough at the ministry to know what's happening. And this comment enrages Ron to the point where he slams the train compartment door shut and shatters the glass. Oculus Repero. Honestly, (laughs) the trolley witch would be on you so fast if this were cursed child. Like, (laughs) defacing school property? (laughs) You know, it'd be like, Uh, nobody comes and like looks. I mean, I know it's a quick Repero job, but like, I was just like, man, (laughs) Ron, you really asked for it. You're going to get the claws now. Yeah. 
Well, it made me wonder, should Arthur have told them what was happening at school? I think he could have foreseen this type of situation arising. He knows Draco is a bully. He knows Draco is probably going to come in contact with Ron ahead of the news. And maybe it would have been nice for Arthur to tell him, does it really matter if he knows ahead of time? I don't think it does. It seems like a little oversight to me by Arthur. I feel like... He's trying to keep the mystery alive for the kids. It reminds me of why parents don't tell their kids that Santa isn't real, right? Wait, what? (laughs) (laughs) What Santa? (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, and I think you could find a number of examples, right, of things that parents like to keep alive for their kids because it's it's mystery, it's imagination. And this is allowing Hogwarts students to theorize and speculate about what's coming. So it's fun, you know? Yeah. They're trying to keep the fun alive. Yeah. And I, yeah. I think, too, in putting this in context with the previous books, um, they've had really, every student has had two horrific years at Hogwarts lately. So last year, the Dementors are everywhere. No one can get it right. There's this escaped murderer. Uh, Everyone's closely watched. The year before is the Chamber of Secrets being opened and everyone's in fear and danger and everything. So the adults really seem to think that this year's Triwizard Cup and the announcement and all the hubbub is going to make up for and erase the recent trauma and recent horrors. And so that's why it's a secret is because they really want to shock the kids into like, ah, and my God, this is going to be amazing. And wow, I'm so excited. So that's why it's a secret. So like, I, I think keeping that in mind even though you know i mean i know we're going to talk about the triwizard tournament like whether the tasks are actually that exciting for anyone else to watch uh or not <laughs> um it's in it's designed to be this huge thing that makes up for the last couple years of their lives and so that's i kind of think why it's um a hidden thing and also arthur can't predict that draco's going to be this douche uh, you know, like I'm so important. My dad's important. Your dad mustn't be important. No one can predict that. That's just bad behavior. Yeah, yeah. I feel like this part is more like on Draco than like whether the adults should have told them. Cause you know, there's always that one guy who's like, Oh, I know more than you. Yeah, whatever. Draco does love being that person, doesn't he? He does. All right. Well, let's look at some odds and ends. Eric, you want to kick things off? Yeah, we mentioned the dustbins and Mad-Eye Moody, but uh, his paranoia reminds me actually of Horace Slughorn, who just two books from now at the start of it is on the run and actively trying to avoid Death Eaters as well. And so it's kind of a nice little parallel between the real Mad-Eye Moody and Slughorn. Both have made some enemies in Voldemort's inner circle and uh, are just trying to stay ahead of the game. So I definitely thought of uh, Slughorn when I was hearing about Moody and his dustbins. Laura, we mentioned this at the top of this discussion (laughs) Last week, you worked the word pistons into the show. You said we were firing on all pistons. And I was like, who says that anymore? And then I'm reading this chapter and the word pistons comes up. Did you know it was coming? Yeah, definitely. (laughs) Okay, good answer. (laughs) Yeah. The line was the pistons hissed loudly and the train began to move. I'm just I was just impressed by the coincidence. Why wasn't 
An alternate title of Goblet of Fire, Harry Potter and the Pistons Firing. I don't understand. And the Fire of Pistons. What do you notice, Laura? Yeah, so just noticed a real quick mention of the horseless carriages. Not going to remain horseless for long. (laughs) Watch this space. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) This time next year. (laughs) Time for MVP of the week. I'm going to give it to the concept of the dustbin security system. It sounds cheaper than my $99 a year Amazon Ring security subscription. So maybe I'll look into setting this up outside my home. <laughs> I could just imagine that. I, I could just imagine visiting you and it's like not deactivated. <laughs> <all of a> sudden. <laughs> Some call him mad. I call him fiscally savvy. Frugal moody. Yes. Frugal um, moody. Here we go. Money saving Moody. Sorry. I like that. Good hyphenated. You worked the hyphen in there. I'm going to give my MVP to Draco only because he knows exactly what to say to get to Ron. How does he do it, I ask? Oh, yeah, that's right, because he has no moral fiber at all. I'm going to give mine to Mad-Eye. He's the second character in a row that we have in this book whose introduction jumps off the page without him even being present. Ooh. I'm giving mine to Buddy Crouch Jr. Yes! For basically pulling this off, you know, like, it's a it's a good plan, like, for real, it's a sound plan, so credit where credit is due. Heck yeah. Okay, next week we will discuss Chapter 12, the Triwizard Tournament. The thing will finally be revealed. I can't take this anticipation anymore. <laughs> If you have any feedback about today's discussion, you can contact us by emailing or sending a voice memo that's recorded on your phone to mugglecast at gmail.com. Or you can use our phone number, which is 19203Muggle. That's 19203684453. Coming up on bonus MuggleCast, available exclusively on Patreon and through Apple Podcasts. We'll discuss recent news about Hogwarts Legacy. Like I said, it's the top selling game of 2023. Warner Brothers just announced that. And they used the opportunity um, to also tease what might be in store for Harry Potter fans in the year or years ahead. So we'll talk about that. Listener support is the reason why we are a weekly podcast, even 19 years later. Visit patreon.com slash mugglecast or tap into the show on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to receive ad-free and early access to episodes plus bonus MuggleCast. If you pledge on Patreon, you'll also receive access to our live streams, our planning docs, our Facebook group, our Discord, and so much more, like a new physical gift every year. So thank you, everybody who supports us, including you, Ningxi. Yay! And now it's time for Quizage. Last week's question, what spell does Hermione start learning on the Hogwarts Express? And that means in Harry's fourth year. The correct answer was the summoning charm, or Accio, uh, which she's going to teach him later in the year. So that's kind of exciting. little looking ahead bit. Correct answers were submitted, and we have uh, kind of a mix of regular names and fun names. So here we go. Micah's new French accent. <laughs> Mrs. Fig smelling tent. Dumbledore's beard crumb, pig's soggy owl pellet, Dobby and Winky's child. It's not just DADA. Many teachers in the Muggle world now only last a year. Micah's fiance. Oh, 
okay. Quite the oh. dark episode. He's <laughs> learning French and getting engaged. Hope he texts yeah. us about that. Uh, insert smart pun here. Weaselby, Grindy Low Hunter, Justice for Winky, Buff Daddy, Katie, Elizabeth K, and Nate, I challenge you to a duel sincerely, Luke. Oh, God. And Oh, this is getting... <laughs> this is out of hand. You know what? Somebody else submitted... <laughs> Okay, somebody else's name here is to all of the kids word dueling in last week's Quizzitch round, I will be the Hagrid and say, break it up, gents, break it up. So let's de-escalate here. Also, if I can, I'll tell you what, these names are really fun, but they take up a lot of time to read. And I (laughs) challenge our listeners to submit, say for the month, the rest of the month, your regular old given names to Quizich. I'm asking you with peace and love to just <laughs> submit that. your regular <laughs> names to Quizich, or they won't be read. They won't be read <laughs> wow. on Quizich. Oh. From this moment forward oh. with peace and love, please. So we've had enough of the names for now, the nicknames. Have we? Wow. Have, oh. So I got in under the wire because mine was read today. Hey! Oh. Lisa, what was yours? What was Yay. yours? The insert smart pun here because oh, I can't think that's... of a good one. Oh, uh, you know what? That hey, was, that was a good one. Eric did say just for the rest of January, right? So a well, limited time challenge. I guess I should have pulled you guys first, but yes, let's just say for the rest of the <laughs> for the rest of the month, regular names only. I'm really curious to see if people adhere well if they don't it's going to be a shorter quizage <laughs> segment of all time here's next week's quizage question this one's a bit interesting name two of the three items that filch has added to the list of forbidden objects at the start of harry's year four there are three items that filch has added we're asking you to name two of them could be anybody's game. Submit your uh, Quizich answer with a regular name to us on the Quizich form, mugglecast.com slash Quizich, or click on Quizich from the main nav. Ningxi, thanks for joining us today. It was great having you. And again, we really appreciate your support. Thanks for having me. You're yeah. so welcome. Thanks for taking off work today for us. Enjoy the yeah. rest of your day off. I think now it's not even <laughs> yeah. 11 a.m. there, so you got the full day out of you. Yeah. Did, yeah. did you call out sick? Were you like, <coughs> I, I, too many dustbins last night? I just took like my annual leave. Yeah, we get 14 a year, so it's fine. You get a lot more vacation time over there than we do in America. Yeah. I mean, I'm already on the low side, so. Ah, jealous. 14 days sounds like the extreme high side here in America. <laughs> and that's not like inclusive of like sick time. That's a separate 14 days. By law, you have to get. All right, I'm getting depressed. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. holidays too, right? <laughs> yeah, public holidays, we get that. We're all coming to Singapore. Yeah, <laughs> we're happy for you. We're happy for you. And thank you again for your support. We really couldn't do this uh, show without support from listeners like you. And you've been such a longtime listener. So, and you fit right in on today's episode. Thank you for sitting in the Micah seat. I'm sure if you were here, he would definitely give you a live choo-choo. Choo-choo. <laughs> Visit MuggleCast.com for transcripts, social media links, our full episode archive, our favorite episodes, and to contact us. That does it for this week's episode. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. I'm Laura. And I'm Ningxi. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye.